0: Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's so great to have you on board. So thanks for tuning in. Now, I just want to get straight into today's podcast. This is an absolute fire. One of the funniest and most informative podcasts I've ever done with Joshua Coppell all the way in LA. Let's get into it. Let's have some fun. Welcome to the Open Podcast for yet another episode. As always, amazing to have you on. Now, this is a, another special podcast in our American series. And uh, fantastic to be talking with Joshua Coppell all the way in LA. Hey, Joshua, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm even better because you, you call me sir. I feel a bit better <laughs> than you do, so that's great. Um, amazing <laughs> to have you on the show now. Now, you reached out to me um, uh, a couple of weeks ago um, as we, we were talking about it, and I'd heard about your restaurants actually before, and um, uh, Pru and Proper being, being the main one in LA, and I know you've got mm-hmm. a couple. Um, you've got an amazing story, and today I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to share that, but how did you actually start out in the hospitality
1: industry? I think I started out like a lot of owners and operators. I I started out, you know, sweeping floors, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of urine, a lot of, a lot of vomit. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. There just is, you know, it's a great opportunity because those are the jobs that nobody wants. Um, Yeah. And I, and honestly, I don't, I don't know how much has changed in the world, but like in my experience, Like the only way to get into the industry is to start out at the bottom and then you slowly but surely work Mm -hmm. your way up. Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Totally agree.
1: And I think think it's a wonderful opportunity because like most people pay to go to school. And like I got paid to get an education. I learned, (laughs) you know, the elements of hospitality and bartending and serving and management, Mm -hmm. you know, through the school of hard knocks. Yeah, most
0: definitely. Can you can you remember the first job? Well, what was the first job you had
1: when you started out? The the first the first like really memorable job I had was like my mm. first real shot at management right. in terms of because I, I worked my way up through the ranks. I started mm. out as like a guy that was like bleaching the floors at night <laughs> and then worked my way up to bar back and then to the bartender. It mm-hmm. was a place called the Alligator Bayou Bar. Wow. It was located. A I know. <laughs> It it was located in like a wooden cabin on Alligator Bayou. Um, it is. God. It is. I swear. I swear to God. I don't know if you can Google this, but <laughs> like if there are photos, but it is exactly exactly what you're imagining. Is it are the like, alligators close by? Like, why is it? Why oh is yeah. It it's, it's, really? Alligator All right. Bayou is chalked full of alligators. <laughs> um it is and the, this this bar sits over the water yes it's incredible wow. the way i used to explain to people how to get there is i'd say you get off the interstate you'd yep. make a right at the big gator when the <laughs> pavement becomes gravel keep going when the gravel becomes dirt look to the left and you'll see the bar
0: <laughs> swear to god what could a client what, like. what kind of clientele would you have had there would that would... Would it would it have been it would have been a lot of just locals, wouldn't it, or was it?
1: Oh yeah, but yeah. It's, you know they, there was also there's also this very interesting dynamic in Louisiana. They have what's mm. called blue laws,
2: mm-hmm. which mean
1: uh, which mean a lot of different things. But one thing in particular is it means you can't buy booze on Sunday, right? In, in in the capital city of Baton Rouge, right? Well, the first bar you hit on the way to New Orleans that allows you to drink on Sundays. <laughs> Is the Alligator Bayou Bar, located (laughs) on Alligator Bayou Road, located on Alligator Bayou.
0: Right. Wow. So, So it must be a busy place on a Sunday, right?
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) There were were literally tow trucks that would line the the dirt road, because people would get hammered and immediately drive their car into the bayou. Wow. Oh, my God. It was...
0: Isn't that, isn't that just crazy? Like when I think of how I started in the industry when I was 16 uh, in bakeries and that kind of thing, like most shopping centers weren't open on a Sunday. They weren't allowed to by regulation to open on a Sunday. And it's just it's just amazing how it just changes so much over a period of time, isn't it really?
1: Oh, for sure. I mm. mean, and, you know, and then like moving into New Orleans and, you know, a place that never closes and really doesn't have that many rules and you're able to drink on the street. Yeah, and when, yeah. I, and when I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, "Man, let's party!" And they're like, "Man, everything closes at one I'm like, I'm "Stretching at 1.30 in the morning," <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I'm right. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get into this industry because I, I lacked options. I got into it, and I've stayed in it for twenty plus years because I absolutely adore it. I enjoy yeah. going to work every single day. I've always enjoyed going to work every single day. Yeah. Um. And it's just, you know, it's, I think it is such a blessing that we get to be, you know, part of so many special moments in other people's lives. Yeah. Birthdays, and anniversaries, and promotions, and engagements. It's just, you know, and we're part of all of it. Whether we're talking about, you know, bars, restaurants, nightclubs. It's Mm -hmm. it's a very privileged position.
2: Yeah,
0: I totally agree. When um, obviously you just said you started out in Louisiana. Like, how did how did the trek come that you went and were started in Louisiana and then went into LA?
1: Like, what? It was real easy, man. Mm -hmm. I turned to my family and I said, "I'm gonna go there for six months. I'll be right back." How long ago was that, Joshua? That was 19 years ago. <laughs> Are they still waiting? Like, is there, is there hey, something bro, in the house for like, welcome back, Joshua, or like, what's going on? Dude, I turned 40 this year, and my wow. 88-year-old grandmother still turns to me and goes, has it been six months yet?
0: <laughs> Truly. Yeah, wow. Okay.
1: It's a trip. Uh, But, you know, for me, I was just looking for a change of pace and I had mm -hmm. this like crazy master plan that I was going to come out to L.A. because it's so progressive and so forward thinking. I was going to find an amazing concept and then I was going to bring that shit back to Louisiana and become a cajillionaire, Of course. Um, (laughs) And I didn't. I was out here for a couple of years and I was like, you know what this place needs is Louisiana. Right, and uh, and so I decided to bring you know my own brand of uh, hospitality to it. So
0: so let's talk about that because look, I'm unfortunately I haven't been to Louisiana yet. Maybe maybe next time you go back and everyone welcomes you back again, I can I can join you for a for a drink or something. But like I, I know how good Louisiana hospitality is, and when uh, when you talk about that in a in a LA setting, how were you how were you able to bring that to la without it looking too um too out of place and making sure that people really understood understood what you were trying to bring do you think
1: well i i started with a really simple concept and the concept is that i am incredibly ordinary that i am just an average human being and so whatever i like is probably what other people like right Mm -hmm. and so I just listened to people and I just treated people with respect and the LA culture, you know, when, when I got into this back in 2004, mm. um, the LA culture was, we're going to treat you like shit. We're going to charge you a ton of money. We're mm-hmm. going to make you wait and you're going to love us for it. <laughs> um, and people did and it worked. And how amazing is that? That it worked for as long as it did.
0: What do you, um, think, it, what do you think it has, Joshua? What do you think that, mentality was there do you think that was just a lack of options for for people in la
1: or i, I think pre-2008 i think people had a ton of money yeah, and even though they so. were getting treated like shit i think mm. they like to see other people getting treated like shit yeah so it became you normal, know was, normalized right it, it did but like mm. you know when the recession hit you know and and nightclubs were still blowing up and then all of a sudden their numbers peter out you know yeah. i turned to my business partner and i was like we should open like a dive bar in Hollywood. There are no bars in Hollywood. Like, and let's just charge a fair price. Let's treat people well. Let's remember people's names. Mm -hmm. Let's just see how it goes. Mm. And he goes, do you think it'll work? And I said, I mean, who knows? Who knows what people want? But like, I live in Hollywood and this is something I would want. I wanted Mm. a bar I could go to every day. And it's the same with the fine dining concept.
2: Mm -hmm. Like
1: I know based on price point, I'm not going to get you every day Mm -hmm. But, like, I want to make sure that you leave with such a good feeling. It's like, I respect people's money. I mean, being in the restaurant industry, we know what it's like to be short on money. We know what it's like to have super tight margins. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that, like, I really respect my own money and I really respect other people's. And if you come to me and you spend $150 on a meal and -hmm. you're not fucking ecstatic (laughs) when you leave. I want seriously, man. I want yeah, the no, I totally agree. to make sure you're on top of the world. Yeah. If you didn't, if the birthday you had with me wasn't the best dining experience of your life, we've come up short. You know, and everyone should be working towards that. You know, I totally agree. So, so you said
0: you just started. You obviously started your first venue in 2004, right? Um, no, I was uh, I was
1: running nightclubs in Hollywood oh, in 2004. 2004.
0: Okay i was so part we, of
1: the machine
0: yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> part of the machine and lucky they didn't spit you back out to louisiana right um, exactly so when did you when did you do your first venue was it pre or post 2008
1: it was uh we we acquired the location in 2009 and we opened in 2010 right okay. so basically at the bottom of the market
0: yeah and tell me about how that time was sort of post-recession in in l a like what what was the hospitality industry like how were the hospitality owners sort of feeling? do you
1: think Oh, I think it was terrible. I mean, people were scrambling, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't that like ten guys owned ten different nightclubs. it was like three guys owned like twenty nightclubs
0: yeah right. and
1: and right, and like mm-hmm. everybody stopped going, and like mm. some of these guys had just done a million dollar two million dollar renovation, and yeah. And it changed, you know, and we we, it was it wasn't it wasn't a local recession, right? It was a global recession. So,
2: you
1: know, uh, tourism took a dump, Mm -hmm. you know, everything just just plummeted. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
1: you know, our reaction to that was to open something that should have existed when times were good as well. You Mm -hmm. know, Uh, but I think I think it was a real tough time. I mean, the closure rates. Just and this is this is no exaggeration. Almost everyone that I know from the industry that owned a bar, restaurant, or nightclub pre two thousand and eight does not own today.
0: Wow. That's sad, isn't it really? That's really sad. Oh my
1: god, yeah. yeah. Listen, man, I it's you know, as an entrepreneur, I see every four lease sign and mm-hmm. I just I I just emote I just like I feel that pain. You mm-hmm. know, when mm. you see like that that shitty like cell phone repair shop in that shitty strip mall, like that's somebody's dream, you know. Yes, Somebody yes. turned to their wife and said, "You're not gonna believe this shit. I came up <laughs> with an amazing idea. We're gonna fix people's cell phones in this shit neighborhood. <laughs> in this in this." <laughs> And but they're true. really successful, Joshua. They're really successful, though. That's the thing. They they are, you know. <laughs> and for the ones that aren't, like I, I mm. weep with them. It's not like every idea I've ever had worked out well, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's why I got married. I come up with new ideas every day, and my wife shoots them down every day. It's like a beautiful relationship. That's but good. you know, not not everything's gonna work. And so, I really, I really empathize with anyone that takes the time and the effort. Mm-hmm. to open a restaurant because the reality is, like, you're only making a ton of money in this industry at scale. So, if you meet oh. someone that has one restaurant or two restaurants, they're probably doing pretty well, but chances are they're probably eating shit once every three months. No, it's just, definitely.
2: It, it's just hard, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: So, let's, let's break down the three venues that you have um, currently because I want people to understand sort of the difference in them. So do you want to just have a chat about the three that you have?
1: Absolutely. So the first venue I opened was uh, 504 Hollywood, the New mm-hmm. Orleans Inspired Bar on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then wanted to pivot into a different tier of dining. So uh, four years later, I opened Prue and Proper, which is, mm-hmm. uh, offers modern Southern cuisine, 6,000 mm-hmm. square feet, two-story, Michelin rated.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that came with a lot of trial and error, a tonne. Uh, that's a and, huge sight, Joshua. Uh, oh, my God. It was, it was bananas. I don't even know what I was thinking. Here's what I can tell you.
0: <laughs> was it an existing restaurant? Or was it, What was it?
1: It was. It was an existing yeah. restaurant. I still spent nine months tearing it down to the studs just to be obnoxious. <laughs> um, but, like, and look, here's great advice for everyone. If,
2: mm-hmm. you're,
1: if you own one place that's doing really well and you're going to open a second one, Yes. Spend every penny you got. Because if it doesn't work, it's going to mm. take down the first one anyway. Mm. There's no way around it. So, yeah. you know, we spent a ton. We opened it. It was beautiful. I thought to myself, I mean, how hard could fine dining be? Well, holy yep. shit. My God. It was like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Had and you done then, it
0: before? Had you done it before? No.
1: Pru and Proper <laughs> was literally the first restaurant I had ever worked in in my life. Wow, you, to...
0: you had never come from restaurants before. You know
1: bars, lounges, nightclubs. So that's you decided it. to
0: do a fine dining venue
1: in your first. Wow, not a great idea. It worked out well. It was obviously a great idea. It's still going well, so you <laughs> oh, know, yeah. that's great. Wow. Okay. And then, okay. and then we pivoted into a fast casual because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> so, right. Now that I've mastered these two, might as well try something new. So then we have South City Fried Chicken, which is like Uh our fast, casual fried chicken joint. Uh, Everything we do is southern in nature, um, Uh all kind of centrally based around depth of flavor and depth of family and relationships. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's been a wild ride. But by far the most educational experience was pro and proper because it was an abject failure from like, the day it opened till like 18 months into it
0: all right so let's let's talk about that for a second like how did you how did you go about finding your your kitchen staff and your head chef in order to in order to make that try and make that successful at the start
1: so at the start i hired uh, a great executive chef and a great general manager and Mm -hmm. after working with both for about nine or ten months Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i would say that the relationship became untenable Okay. Their vision for the restaurant wasn't my vision for the restaurant. Yes. Um, and, you know, you spend all of this time and all of this money and it's just not, not what working. you want it. Mm. No, it's just not what you want it to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we were losing a ton of money. I lost almost a quarter million dollars my first year. Wow. Uh, wow well, was right. That is a mm. lot of that is a lot of money to not make. guys. Yes. That is a Most lot different. of money to mm. not earn. Mm. and so you know i lost a ton of money i'd spent a ton of money on it Mm. and and i wasn't having any fun and i wasn't enjoying it and it wasn't a reflection of self Mm -hmm. uh so i turned to my business partner and i said i'm just gonna fire the the two guys in charge i'll take over as general manager and i'm Mm -hmm. gonna hire another executive chef and if it doesn't work i'm just gonna shut it down because i don't know what else to do you know yeah
0: did you give yourself a time frame Joshua? sorry cut
1: you off 90 days 90 days 90 days 90 days to feel better about it or call it a day and so through a friend of a friend i i I was talking to this this buddy i know i don't even know any chefs right yeah because i was like you know i'm in nightclubs and shit yeah (laughs) so so i uh so i reach out to a, a mixologist i know that does a bunch of consulting and i'm like yo do you know any chefs and he's like yeah, man, my buddy Sammy just moved out here and he's not looking for a job, but you're both really cool guys. You should at least meet up. Mm. And we did. We went to coffee and we talked about food for like two hours, not about wow. the restaurant, not yeah. about business, just about like, this is what food means to me. Um, he's from the Carolinas, which is Southern. I'm from the deep South and we right. really connected. And so without even tasting his food, I just hired him. Mm-hmm. and i uh i turned to my business partner and he goes well can he cook and i said well if he can cook as good as he talks we'll be okay
0: <laughs> right you're just right on a wing works, and a,
1: right and it did and it worked really <laughs> well we launched with a uh, like an eight or nine item menu okay. uh so we shut it down and then 4 days later we turned over as a new restaurant same name but an entirely different culinary vision wow and uh we uh we launched that that menu eventually grew to uh almost 40 items between the bar room menu and the uh dining room menu okay okay um and it's you know it's been great the the next 12 months after the first 12 months that were terrible were terrible as well because we didn't have any money and we weren't we weren't busy because i had spent a year like ruining people's lives you know (laughs) Yes, they weren't, they weren't going to come back, right? You know. No, nobody mm. ever has a great experience or a terrible experience at a restaurant and says, oh, I'll give those guys another try, <laughs> right? Nobody. Yes. I don't even do it. I own restaurants, and if I go to a place and it's just okay, I'm like, fuck yes. this place, never coming back. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, if anyone should be understanding, it's me, you know? Yes, yeah, exactly. You're in the industry like me, so I understand. uh. Um, So, you know, it's for me, I I learned so many valuable lessons. And the reason I reached out was because I was like, you know, I know, I know I'm not alone. I know so many of us struggle. And there were like, Mm -hmm. there were a thousand things I did to turn the business around and go from making like 1.2 million to like 3.4 million this year. And I turned it around in like 18 months and more than doubled sales. So Um, was that.
0: Was that for you, Joshua, like, let, let's break that down. You're sitting down with your business partner. You just hired this new exec chef. You're, you're about to relaunch. You're hoping this culinary vision is going gonna, is gonna to work. Like, how did you begin to start to remarket that business and invite guests back for a good experience? What did you, what did you do with your own vision and also your teams?
1: So, well, I mean, the, the shortest answer is everything. Absolutely yeah. everything. I went mm-hmm. into open table and I downloaded uh the you know, the customer database
2: mm-hmm. that we had mm-hmm.
1: for all of the customers. I reached out to everyone and I offered literally everyone a fifty dollar gift card. Wow. And I, I said, you know, I mean I told the truth. I was like, Hey, you came here before. I'm sure it wasn't great. Yes. But things are better. Yeah. So if if you'll come back, you mm-hmm. know, I'll I'll pay for most of your meal. Mm. um and you know we hired a publicist which i think was very important mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh and you know she you know all all a publicist can really do is get you exposure if you deserve it it's as simple as yeah, that true. you know yeah, true because they're not um, going to expose you if you don't right because it's they're, well, they're the publicist well, <laughs> exactly and mm. you know you, you have to be ready for the masses and we did wait mm. six months to do that but like mm-hmm. by the time people started coming in we were ready You know, Mm -hmm. we were really aggressive on social media, Uh, you know, Instagram and Facebook were huge for us. But, you know, also like, it comes down to having like really good photography, like something super simple that nobody does and everybody should do is you can get a slideshow on Yelp for like 20 bucks a month. And Mm -hmm. I know Yelp's the devil, but Mm -hmm. like thousands of people, They are. They're the. They're the devil. Everywhere. Yes, knows. they are. Yes. And if you didn't know, you heard it from here. <laughs> you first. heard it now, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, but like the the photos, the photos that people see on Yelp motivate them, and so it's either going to be like an eighty year old like flip phone photo taken of a, like a half eaten sandwich <laughs> in poor light, or it's going to be your food, you know, mm. photographed by like a professional photographer. You Mm. know, and you can set that up and Mm. like that's that's a great way to spend money. I made sure that like my open table descriptions and my Yelp descriptions were like super appetizing because. You're not trying to convince people to go to your restaurant, you're trying to get people to go to your restaurant versus another restaurant. So I Mm. did, you know, and that's what you have to remember is you're not trying to convince people to leave the house trying to convince people that have already left the house to, to come to your place. Mm. Um, you know, the other thing I did was I threw my hands up in the air and I opened up my books. Okay. And I said, if you want to make a reservation here at any, at any time, you can do it. And we'll just make do when you get here. Um, mm. And we didn't really do that for large parties. But like two tops, four tops, six tops, I'll take you whenever. And through that process, I learned how to strategically book out a restaurant. Something I didn't know because, again, guys, I had never worked in a restaurant well, before. Well, that, that's
0: what I was about to say, Joshua. Like, with we're, we're the rest of your staff who had worked in restaurants before and done that before, were like, oh, Joshua, what the hell are you doing? Like, you're going to put so much pressure on us. You're going to put so much pressure on the kitchen team. Like, that's a, that's a really big statement piece to make about your customer service.
1: There is no pressure. We are a zero-pressure restaurant. Mm-hmm. You want to know why? Mm-hmm. We are aggressively honest with people. If you walk up yeah. and you show up to your reservation on time, and I'm not going to be able to get you seated for 45 minutes. You know what I tell you?
2: it's 45 minutes. I am minutes.
1: so sorry. <laughs> yep. It's going to be 45 minutes. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get you set up with two drinks at the bar. If you're hungry, I'll get you an appetizer. And don't worry. Dessert's on me. But you're going to fucking wait. Yeah. Because that's that's the reality of the situation. Mm. It's a rare occasion because the kitchen fires on all cylinders and they're amazing. Yep. But like, if food is dragging, we tell people, "Yo, food is dragging. If you're really hungry, get the burrata. It's a great dish and it requires zero prep. I can have it up here in five minutes."
0: Do you think you know? Do you think Joshua, when you look back at your career, like everything you're saying to me makes sense? And I'm sure everyone's listening, going nodding their head and yeah, no, I'd love to do that in my venue as well, but so many venues don't right do you think your start out in the industry and being in bars and being in nightclubs helped you because that is such when when i think about the kind of hospitality you're talking about it is absolutely bar culture so do you think that has helped you in the way
1: absolutely Mm. in bar culture usually you have enough volume that like you don't have to bullshit people yeah And I, you know, and I don't really like to be bullshit and neither does anyone that's listening and neither Mm, do you, mm, you know? mm -hmm. And like, what I found is if, if you clearly state the problem to me and you supply the solution in the same breath, Mm -hmm. I'll love you. I'll feel like you're my hero, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, do I overbook my restaurant? Spoiler alert. Absolutely. (laughs) Every night of the week. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got to think, I just told you how much money we make a year and we net out. Between ten to twelve percent mm. depending on you know the year. Mm-hmm. Like that margin is garbage. Yep. So the only way we're able to hit that is by pushing as many human beings through that restaurant as possible on a daily basis. Yeah. You know? And that's one of the other things I see that I focus on for a really long time that other people do, and I think it's a mistake. Everyone's trying to convince people to go out on like a Wednesday. Come out for wine Wednesday. <laughs> We'll give you some free shit. Yes. And like, I don't like it's Wednesday, bro. Nobody's leaving the house. And the people that do are cheap. And yeah. They're motivated by cheap. Yeah. Like the way the, like, I don't know, honestly, how to get you an extra $5,000 on a Wednesday, but I can get literally every human that's listening an extra five grand a week through increasing volume on Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. I haven't worked with a restaurant yet. That is isn't undercapitalized. Hmm. You're all missing out on money on Fridays and Saturdays, and there's volume there, there's demand there. You're just not meeting the demand.
0: I think the other thing which we need to remember in the industry is if you, if like so many people, you're right, push those push those nights which are so hard, and you had to spend so much money in order to get people in for a cheaper product. But if you actually have an amazing experience on a Friday and Saturday night and build your team around delivering that on a Friday and Saturday night, people are going to shop you more often anyway which probably means they're going to come to you on a Monday and a Tuesday and Wednesday anyway because they love you so much and they want to see it on a quieter night as well. So I think that's what sometimes we
1: don't, we don't remember as, as restaurant, restaurant owners. You look, man, it's a, no, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. It, it's the only way, if you want to be busy every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, then it needs to be a pipe dream to get a reservation in your restaurant Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? you execute the absolute highest levels imaginable. Mm-hmm. Tot- you know, I, I talk with the restaurateurs all the time and I say, you know, is your food absolutely amazing? They're like, well, it's really good. <laughs> like, well, ho- well shit. You yeah, know, that excited. I me. Hope, all right. I, I hope there's a market for really good out there. I haven't found it yet. <laughs> but if there is, let me know yeah. because I could save a lot of money by opening just a really good restaurant. <laughs> I'll open that in your neighborhood.
0: <laughs> let's um, let's talk about your third venue and the move into fast casual. Like, what what drove you to to want to make that step after you know learning the
1: ropes in fine dining, Joshua? Same, same as fine dining, man. I was mm-hmm. like, let's get into fast casual. How mm-hmm. hard could it possibly be? <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> oh my God, it's
1: a nightmare. How did you
0: find it so hard? What did you find? What elements did you find really
1: hard? Well, you get used to a fine dining pace, right? Sure. So, like, people sit down for 45 minutes to an hour and a half to enjoy the experience of your restaurant. But in fast casual, they have an hour for lunch. It took them 20 minutes to get there. It's going to take them 20 minutes to get home. So, you need to get them the food in five minutes. Or, you know, they're running late for everything and they hate you. (laughs) And so, I found myself to be very hated.
0: Yeah, right. Is that because you um, because we're you were just developing what <clears throat> how to actually deliver on that you mean or
1: well yeah I mean you know we we had made the commitment like we don't we don't have any heat lamps yeah right we don't use freezers or anything like that like we want like you order the food and we'll cook it fresh yeah like to cook chicken it's going to take between six to twelve minutes yes um depending on how many birds are down and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, and people just don't like that. Like people do not want to wait 15 minutes to eat lunch, Mm. um, which I didn't know because I like everyone that's listening. I typically eat lunch in my car while I'm barely breathing in the middle of a thousand things (laughs) while I'm driving while testing. Yes. Right. Yes.
0: I understand. So, so,
1: so I, I'm not one of the wealthy people that has the luxury of like going out for lunch. Yes. Um, so I didn't know what people did for lunch. And then once I found out, I was like, "Well, shit, we need a new plan." Mm-hmm. And so we did figure it out. Um and it, and it's worked out really well. You know, the difficult thing about fast casual is it re- you know, to make real money at it, it only really works at scale. Yes. One doesn't make sense, five makes sense, 10 yes. makes sense. Yes. Um and so, you know, now I, I find myself in a place. I, I have a fourteen-month-old daughter. Congratulations! And I'm trying. Thank you, sir. I only did half the work. Actually, I did less than that. I would, I would give. I would give my wife most of the. Yeah, I think she did
0: most of it, so that's
1: okay. She really, did. she really just did, did a lot of work. A lot of work. I watched it. It was horrific. It was right. My God, I thought the restaurant industry was hard. bare child. And the people that, and the brave women out there that do both, God bless them. Yes,
0: absolutely, God, oh,
1: truly, mm. those are heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, now I'm trying to figure out, you know, highest and best use. What should I be doing with my time? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how do I most want to contribute to my community, to my industry, to my business partners, to you know the the concepts that we've created. And so, you know, my life is at, like, a very interesting place right now. Almost, like a, almost like, a, um, like a wide junction, obviously. You've had a couple of
0: decades in the industry, and you just need to figure out what you want to do next, I suppose.
1: Well, exactly. You know, what's the next adventure? And I think that is actually going to be solving, working not not for the patrons, but for the industry mm. and trying to solve really big problems that seem to, like, bother most of us.
0: What are the what are sort of big problems you're seeing when you talk to other restaurateurs in a, in LA? Like, is it is it labor? Is it is it leases? Is it food quality? Like, what are the big pain points? Well, I mean, seeing? in L-
1: So in LA specifically, mm. your two biggest are going to be labor yeah. and lease rate, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I pay twenty two thousand dollars a month in rent for pro and Proper. Wow, that is obscene. Yes, that's a lot of money. Yes, that is just a lot of money. Mm. That is that that is a lot of thousands to spend every month most definitely and then you think it is Mm -hmm. you know and then you think about when we were doing 1.2 million dollars a year and that lease rate makes no sense right Mm -hmm. i'm just eating shit every day now at well over three million of course it makes sense Mm -hmm. but during the years that we had to grow it was incredibly painful and rents are going up they're not going down so you're seeing a lot of great chefs and a lot of great operators vacate leaseholds that they've had for five, 10, 15, 20 years because they don't want to pay that much in rent. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Because, you know, we feel, and I'm sure you guys do too, like we feel very invested in the real estate, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think I fixed your pipe. I, you know, I trenched down to your foundation (laughs) and relayed pipe for, you know, a downstairs bathroom Like, we spend all of this money on other people's real estate, you know?
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: And so, like, in exchange, like, I don't want to be hammered on rent. Yeah. I don't want to have to have this conversation every five years. Mm. Um, Our landlords across the board are great. So, I don't really have any specific complaints, but I do know that that is is a real concern for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, and it's where I I put most of my attention, are there are things that everybody's restaurant needs that we just can't afford? And is there a way to, like, make that work? I'll give you a couple of examples. Please. Um, the the first is, like, especially in fine dining, when you open at, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. you need someone answering your phone. hmm When we uh, – one of the things that I did, which had a huge impact in our business, was I forwarded all the calls from the restaurant to my cell phone. Okay. And I answered every call. Mm-hmm. Would I, and before that, so for three years before that, no one answered the phone before three o'clock right and so because I mean like if it matters, they'll leave a message, sure, well, guess what that's not true yeah
0: you not know?
1: no if, if if you if you don't answer, they're just going to call another restaurant
2: mm-hmm.
1: we saw and this is this is gospel, everybody should do this, in answering every single call, we saw a five percent increase in top line sales in the first week a 10% increase in the first month and a 19% increase for the year. Wow. Which is incredible wow. by me and by me answering the phones. That's all I did. Nothing else changed. I just answered the phones. I took every reservation. I booked every event and then I couldn't do it anymore because, uh, the restaurant got too busy. So sure. my wife had just gone on maternity leave mm-hmm. and I was like, I love you. Will you do this for me while you're <laughs> making life? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and she obviously said yes
1: <laughs> she did yes and so she did it but but she had a lot of complaints and she was like i don't really like the way this is set up and it would be better if you could make the phone ring through my laptop and my laptop's already open and so on and so forth right so i went on youtube and i created this software right whereby my my beautiful amazing wife can like sit on a laptop the phone rings through the laptop it says uh, the name of the caller and the name of the restaurant. And then the open table pops up. And then this info sheet with everything she needs to know about Prue and Proper comes up. Mm-hmm. And she was back to loving me again. <laughs> um, and it was fantastic. And we're making a ton of money. So yeah. like, things are great. Yeah. Flash to She has the baby. Mm-hmm. It's time to go back to work. Sure. Um, and I don't want her to go back to work. Mm. I love her. I want her to spend time with my daughter. And I was like, I wonder if other restaurants can use this because it costs at least in L.A. It costs almost a thousand dollars a week to have a reservationist. Sixteen dollars an hour plus twenty percent in payroll tax for forty hours a week. Yeah, right. You're looking at like nine nine hundred and change. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. To have
1: someone sit in an empty restaurant, mm. do two hours worth of work, but do two hours worth of work spread out across eight hours.
2: Mm. It
1: just doesn't make sense. So I was like, I wonder if I could just rope a bunch of restaurateurs into this. And then we could pay my wife to do it.
0: (laughs) And that's worked out as well?
1: It did. (laughs) So I turned to a bunch of other restaurateurs. And I was like, hey, guys, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And and I gave it to everybody free. They were able to onboard. There's like no insulation or anything. We handle everything. Mm -hmm. And my wife started answering the phones for two restaurants, then four, then six. Then we brought on another reservationist. And now we have like six reservationists. We have 50 clients in the LA area. Um, and it works because everybody's making more money and yeah. you don't have to pay full price for a reservationist. And that model, Sean is what I'm talking about mm-hmm. where like another example, and this is something I haven't tackled yet. If someone else tackles this, I want a royalty, <laughs> but like, like like event planners like mm-hmm. every restaurant needs an event planner
2: mm-hmm. but i can
1: tell you two things one i'm not gonna salary that human being because mm. i don't know what they're gonna bring in Yep. and two i'm not gonna give you 20 percent of what we bring in yeah there's no way yeah because the margins are already garbage if i give you 20 percent, i'm working for free yeah but is is there a way for one event planner to work events at, like, a 5% commission for 10 or 15 restaurants. And, in you know, and in turn, everybody gets the benefit without the drawback. Yeah. That is that is where we're headed. Because, again, to really hit, like, hammer home, like, labor is the devil. It's going to destroy. A, this is just a laborious business. Mm. You will never have... Robots delivering food to tables in fine dining restaurants It will always be human. Yes. And so, like, you you have to solve the human problem. Mm-hmm. And so the way you do that is, is restaurateurs must come together as a community and work together to solve these problems so that it's beneficial for everyone. Do you
0: think, you know? uh, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because what we're talking about is, uh, like, uh, the one thing I don't want to see in any in the hospitality industry is for it to lose its hospitality. Right. And, and so much of your business is driven by personality. It's driven by proper engagement with customers. It's, it's that, you know, it's that vocal person on the phone. It's that, you know, it's that person when you in the first five seconds of you crossing this, crossing the threshold into into your venue, you know, that can't be lost, but you're so correct. Like it's, um, i'm I'm just wondering i'm wondering joshua if we need sort of a almost like a another 2008 heaven forbid to bring the industry back together because then we realize that you know we all kind of we need each other as an industry and not not just single unit venues
1: we do mm. like, I and i look i'm not i'm not like a, a fool or a nerd and i'm <laughs> all for technology yes but i i, I truly believe that the solution to most of the, most of the ills in this industry is more humanity and more hospitality, yeah one hundred percent yeah, is that the more people that are involved in the process, the easier and the better the process becomes mm, totally agree
0: do you um do you think there's any obviously you've brought so many southern trends to l a do you think there's any trends that you're seeing when you're looking around and being insightful and talking to other restaurateurs that you think uh, are coming through as big trends food trends through the industry that that will come into western countries in the near future
1: oh i think so i think hot chicken is already having a moment right it's having a big moment right now yes i mean everywhere every yeah. everywhere we go in the world we see you know h- hot chicken places popping up here and there mm-hmm. um and it's beautiful and I, i've got to be honest with you i'm a delicate beast I can't really handle the really hot, hot, hot chicken. Yes. Um, but I, I do enjoy the lighter version.
0: <laughs> and what, um, what about anything else? Anything else you're seeing coming through?
1: You know, the, the one thing that I see, and it's actually, I would say that it's trending in the other direction. Um, what I see in the South now is I see a central focus on sustainability yeah. which really only existed on the coast yeah. but now you're seeing a lot more social responsibility you know responsible animal husbandry um <laughs> you know is, i know i know no one wants to talk about responsible animal husbandry, not right at now. all <laughs> I, I know it's not sexy but um but it's true like mm. you know like how you get your food matters oh, big and time. like big time. W- one of the reasons that the food is so good at pru is because like, we're a part of the Good Food 100. Mm-hmm. This is some of the cleanest, most sustainable food you're ever going to eat. And with the flavors speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Happy cows make for happier steak, True. 100%. Yeah,
0: totally agree.
1: Um, and so it's, you know, that is the trend that I'm seeing. And I'm so excited that my Southern brethren are, like, into it and trying to push the envelope on it. Um, you know, and we're, we're trying to do our part as well, but I think that the future of this industry is again, I I think it is, it is a greater sense of community paired with a greater sense of social responsibility.
0: Do you think that's because a different generation is coming through the hospitality industry's owners now, and they're seeing the need and the want to do better things? Joshua, why do you think that's all of a sudden started to happen over the
1: last, especially three to five years? i I think that's exactly what it is mm. you know i I listen to a lot of owners and operators talk about millennials mm-hmm. and like what a pain in the ass they are yeah. and this and that, but you know i will give you the other side of the coin like the like these people are are in like they're in tune with their emotions and their needs, and you know I grew up in a generation where it was just about working hard, yep you know totally agree. and it wasn't about like liking what you did like. Mm-hmm. It was very punitive you know what it was like coming up in this oh, industry you, 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 like, you were just hoping that the end would be the end would be really good so you just hold on and hold on yeah, yeah exactly mm. but you know with with the verbal abuse and yeah. and you know the the demeaning nature of the industry until you work your way up to a certain level and mm-hmm. this and that and like that, that that the industry has gone the way of the dinosaurs with that yeah. it's different and these new kids they're not going to tolerate that, and they shouldn't. And mm. we shouldn't have tolerated it either. Yeah, great. But like, they will bleed for you if you let them know why they should.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is that is the big change is that that owners and operators have to become even more participatory
2: mm-hmm. in the
1: process of educating their teams, and they have to say, not this is what we do, but like this is why we do it. This is why it matters Mm -hmm. because here's what I can tell you about a millennial. If you take 15 to 20 minutes and you sit them down and you explain to them exactly what your goals and ambitions are and from your heart, why you decided to do what you do, why that restaurant exists and how you want people to feel when they leave, you'll never have to manage that human again. They'll never ask you another question because they'll know how to execute.
0: Oh, totally agree.
1: You know, Mm. I, I, and that is that is the take home
0: i think I think we just need to think as business owners and leaders in the industry that it's it's not often the person that we're actually leading it's us as leaders that need to change and and we need to yeah, change correct. our management style in order to, to in order to encapsulate them and bring them through the industry like we had happened to us i mean that's that's the that's the whole reason why we're in the industry. We should be wanting to do the same,
1: so it's all about growing your learning as leaders ourselves I think. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that any improvements in my business ha- have, have stemmed directly from me improving as a leader.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Joshua, like you've got three cracking venues, they've, um, they've survived the long run. Like, what do you think you want to do next?
1: I, again, I, you know, I think business services, I, mm. I think it's about helping other restaurateurs. Mm-hmm. um you know I, like i said before to turn pro around i did a thousand things mm-hmm. a hundred of them were like really effective yeah um and so you know the next step for me and small steps i'm still actively operating all of these venues
2: mm-hmm.
1: um is i've started a blog and nice. it hasn't launched yet mm-hmm. um but it's going to be it's not going to be very flowery because our people don't really like that yes um i'm just going to tell people yeah this is this is what i did this is how I did it and this was the result. Yeah. Um, and then you know, I wanna push forward with this virtual reservationist. Mm-hmm. I, I if people wanna check it out, they can check it out at justcallflow.com. Nice L O. Mm-hmm. Um and again I just wanna keep helping people and I wanna get the word out and I wanna start these conversations mm-hmm. because here here's here was like the big aha moment for me, Sean. Mm-hmm. When I saw all of that growth in that 18-month period, mm-hmm. what I walked away from was this, or what I walked away thinking was this, that I could have had all of that in the first year had I known everything that I knew two years ago. Totally. I just I just lacked the knowledge. I just lacked the information. Yeah, And so I think, because I think you have to be a genius to be in this industry for this long. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're all heroes and handymen and plumbers and right. you learn how to do everything yes the fryer's broken yeah let me get underneath it for a minute and see if i can fix
0: it yeah because i don't want to pay someone a thousand dollars to do it (laughs)
1: exactly you get it um we all do Mm. and so it's just but you don't know how to fix a fryer until the fifth time you've done it
0: yeah most and definitely.
1: so I just want to I just want to impart all of that to people, and we'll see where the road takes me. But I've been very fortunate in my career, mm-hmm. um, and so what I want to spend the next 24 months doing is paying it forward and seeing where that leads, because mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be a good place. Oh, uh, I'm
0: I no doubt it'll be a good place, my friend. So I will link up um, everything to do with your businesses um, uh, in the bio of this. So make sure you check it out. Uh, Joshua Copel, thank you so much for your time. It's been a been a laugh and been a very very happy
1: <laughs> episode. So thank you so much for your time, bro. The pleasure was all mine. I'll talk to you soon. Awesome, take care. Yes, sir. Bye bye.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into that episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. As I said at the start of the show Joshua was just on fire during that episode so I hope you really got something out of it and enjoyed it all his three venues all the information is in the bio of this podcast so please make sure you check them out if you're in LA or looking to go to LA very very shortly now as I always say I love your feedback so why not hit me up on twitter at Open Pantry Co. or on Instagram, Open Pantry Consulting. This is Sean for another episode. Until next time, take care.